0: Welcome to Pitch Perfect. We're a female driven flesh and blood channel hosted by myself, Melody and Elaine. Say hi Elaine. Hi. Awesome. This week on our Pitch Perfect pod, we are joined by a very prominent member of our flesh and blood community. Please welcome a very highly anticipated guest to the show, Yuki Lee Bender.
1: Kia ora, Yuki. Hi hey, everyone. Pleasure to be on the show. Really looking forward to, you know, sitting down and chatting and yeah, just talking with you two.
2: Yeah, we're awesome. super excited to have you here, and I think a lot of the community is too. That was like when we started this podcast, we we're like, "What do you guys want to see?" And they were all like, "Yuki." I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll we'll try and make that happen. So I'm excited; it's finally happening.
0: Yes, yeah. So actually, before yesterday, we were talking about you know. Usually, we ask our our guests how did we meet. And we've never actually met you, but I said to yeah. Elaine, "Elaine, haven't you met Yuki before?" Surely it know pro quest and all these events you go to and elaine's like no elaine's been too shy to talk to you, you
2: that's true that is true i've t- i'm like i run around i talk to everyone at these events and i've seen you um in passing in new jersey and at vegas <coughs> and i'm, I'm too sh- I, I was too shy both times to introduce myself i'm like i don't want to ruin her focus or or <laughs> little starstruck um but yeah, so it's nice to finally actually sit down and get to talk to you. Yeah,
1: no, it's nice. It's nice to talk to you, too. I saw you briefly at Vegas, too, but I think you were chatting with someone. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll yeah. say,
2: I remember I was like sitting with Flake and a few other people and then like Flake, like waved you over and y'all had a brief conversation. And I was just like,
1: yeah, that it was teary? okay I'd come back. And then it was like, I realized I had a lot of running around to do. So
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I actually went and took a nap like right after that. <laughs> at the event i like i left and went and took a nap because they had like made plans for after and then there was like the huge uprising draft and i was like i gotta go take a nap right now because i wasn't playing in any events in that moment anyway
0: yeah awesome well thanks for joining us yuki um obviously one of the first questions we ask is just to to get a lay of the land is how did you actually get into flesh and blood is this your first tcg uh it
1: it is not so i originally i came from magic and um Mm. i played magic as a kid growing up from when i was like four years old in the 90s early 90s like fourth edition um maybe five years old i was pretty little though um i was little enough that so my my babysitter's son introduced me to Magic: The Gathering, and I was like, "This is really cool." I don't know how to play it, and I brought a manual home. I'm like, "Mom, teach <laughs> me how to play," <laughs> and uh, and she did, and and so that was really cool, and like that was like a very casual experience. And then I took a big a big gap. I kind of played through school, took a big gap, and then um, got into back into card games kind of around when Hearthstone came out. And, and Magic Arena got me back into Magic. And now, uh, Flesh and Blood, I got to through um, early on LSVs that had some videos with uh, with Hayden, just like gameplay videos. And I think I actually found the exact one like recommended to me on YouTube a little bit ago. And I shouted them out. And I'm like, wow, it's like wild to think that this is only, at the time, it was only about a year ago. And just like how far things have come from like the early, like, very kind of rough youtube videos to like there's so much content now and so much about the game and we've had our you know some major events callings pro tours so but but yeah initially i just saw lsp play it on on youtube with hayden and i was like wow this game looks really fun i want to try it out i tried it on tts with a friend and then i bought cards not too long after um i didn't even really know what to do with them like I, i knew how to play the game but i wasn't really sure if you could even buy a card, like, I didn't know, like, anyone was playing with the cards, even though you could just buy them locally recently. I was like, I don't know if there's events or anything. Uh, there was online armories, but yeah, it took me a little bit to actually get into, um, organized play. Uh, initially it was just playing with a friend on TTS and sort of feeling out all the classes, seeing what they do. Yeah. And what, during what release was that, or how long ago was that, mm-hmm. Um, that was probably around, I probably had my first foray in, like, kind of right around the start of Crucible. Um oh, yeah. yeah. And, again, like, during that time it was pretty casual, like, mostly just, like, trying all the heroes and seeing what they were. And I think I was only playing Blitz at the time. CC was just, like, too much. Like, the games were, were taking a long time even just playing Blitz because we really like to think through the lines. Um, and then I'd say my first, like, when I started getting product was when Crucible, first Edition was available in North America, so a little bit after release. I actually have some like a little bit of Crucible first ed. I, I pulled, um, like a cold foil perch grapplers, for example, was one of the first cards I pulled. Um, so that was really cool. And then I guess when I started getting into organized play it was more around like the monarch time, like monarch pre release just before that, maybe like a few weeks before that. I played like three or four armories, and then monarch pre release happened, yeah.
0: And so were you still playing Magic at the time? Like what kind of, do you, do you, do you only play Flesh and Blood now?
1: or? Um, so yeah, I was definitely still playing Magic at the time. Um, primarily played Limited for Magic, like that was okay. my go-to. I was starting to learn a little bit about Standard and Modern and the different constructed formats, but I was never, I was never particularly good at them. Like I think I, think I was maybe like 50%. <laughs> in those in those formats. Maybe worse, honestly. I, I did a lot of losing. Um but but I fancied myself a pretty decent limited player. Uh these days though, uh it, it's mostly it's mostly flesh and blood. I'll play Magic with um with some friends. Like I've I've drafted um Double Masters a couple of times with friends. Um I'll play Commander occasionally with friends, but I, I don't really have time for magic and, and flushing blood at the same time it's a big commitment <laughs> say right? understand the world. blood by
0: itself is is crazy a crazy amount of time and so mm-hmm. you've kind of talked to it a bit which is you know i was going to ask how successful you were in in magic um but i'm really interested or we're really interested in why you decided to invest more time and sort of commit yourself to flesh and blood as opposed to magic which you've been playing since you were four or five years old
1: yeah so it was a number of things um so magic i had sort of gotten into back into around i guess like guilds of ravnica era so just like three or four years ago Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um that was sort of my first jump into organized play. Like I didn't even know if there was pre-releases or events at stores when I was little. That wasn't something that mm-hmm. I did. Um, so that was sort of like a whole new thing for me. And um, <coughs> yeah, I had played like a number of grand Prix and a number of um, uh, what would you call them, like PTQS. Um, or like ProQuest essentially, Yeah. and I had done okay, like I had some like X1 finishes where I bubbled out, um, I think I cashed a GP, but I had, I had only played really like a handful of events, so even though I'm like sort of, in some ways, my relationship with Magic is funny because in some ways I'm like a very invested player, i played it for a long time and I feel like the game comes naturally to me because I learned it when I was so little, at the same mm-hmm. time, I sort of only took it seriously as an adult for a very small amount of time. So I think I was like less invested than some people. And as COVID happened, there was sort of just like this big downturn in organized play and events in Magic. And um, I had a little bit more time to do other things. And I tried Flesh and Blood. I really liked it. And I think for a long time I was still playing both games. But maybe the big, the big changing point for me was probably Canadian Nationals after winning that event, which
2: honestly came as a huge
1: surprise. I, I was looking pretty really well, but I was, I was shocked that I actually won. And at that moment I was like, well, I sort of like, I'm at a crossroads here. I have a choice of like, if I want to take this game seriously, this feels like the best time to do it. And if I don't want to, that's okay, but I sort of need to make a conscious decision right now. And I decided to spend more time on Flesh and Blood since I've been enjoying it, and I just haven't really looked back
2: yay we're glad
0: you stuck around
2: yeah definitely and congratulations <laughs> on your canadian yes. Nats when when i you know my boyfriend had been trying to get me into this game seriously since crucible came out um but it wasn't until everfest came out when i started like actually taking a lot of interest in it and mm. one of his selling points to me was like there's a a female one Canadian ads. <laughs> and I was like, really? Ooh, and that was part of it. That's like, okay, I want to try it out. There's females in here, kicking ass awesome. and taking names. And that was you. So <laughs> look at us now. That's awesome.
1: Thanks. I always like hearing like, how people get into the game or, you know, just like anytime people are like, Oh, I read your article and it helped or I, you know, I wanted to try this hero because I saw you play it and it looked like fun and now I enjoy it. Like, that's always so meaningful.
2: So I'm glad that
1: you shared that. And there's
0: a lot of that. There's entire Lexi clans that are dedicated to your deck.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Every time you come out with a new video and I go to an event and get beat by Alexi, I'm always like, is this yu list? They're like, of course it's Yuki's list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll accept it.
0: So from an inclusivity perspective you keep, you've come from Magic the Gathering, it sounds like, you know, you've come from quite a competitive sort of standpoint over there. What are the differences that you found between Magic and Flesh and Blood? As a woman as well, like?
1: Yeah, um, so I'll kind of preface it with saying that I think that my experience in Flesh and Blood is unusual, and I'll talk about why. But um, I would say that, like, certainly, as a woman in gaming, um, like playing, I used to play video games, like, fairly seriously as well. Like, I was never actually, like, super competitive, but I would say that I was always, like, pretty high-ranked and, like, practice with people who are pretty competitive in things like League of Legends or StarCraft II. So, I think in those spaces, as well as Magic the Gathering, I've definitely, like it feels like you need to you almost have like something to prove where like you're not Mm. always taken super seriously by everyone Uh, there's lots of people who do i think i think actually the majority of people are pretty good but there's enough people who can be a little i don't know condescending or patronizing and and those people really kind of stand out um so i think it's not really like a majority but it happens like frequently enough that it's like a a pain point and a major annoyance Mm -hmm. um so I've definitely had some of that in magic and um you know my my local community is pretty good but sometimes there are like offhand comments and I find a lot of it is like it's not even necessarily directed at me specifically it's more just like the like the banter that they have with their friend and they're you know they're using language that isn't inclusive and I understand it's like yeah this isn't Meant to offend me, but at the same time, like, I'm here and this is kind of weird and uncomfortable. So, there's a lot Mm. of like those kind of interactions more so than people like intentionally trying to be rude.
2: Right. Like, it they're not like they're not like targeting, but they are just in their Mm. language making it feel like almost like a boys' club, I guess, where it's like, Mm. okay.
1: Yeah, like, you just don't feel the most welcome. I've had, like, a yeah. little bit of that in Flesh and Blood and some Discords as well. Like, just, like, reading the Discord chat, I'm like, this this is not a Discord I particularly want to take place in just because, like, the type of, like, joking around that's going on or whatever is not... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And doesn't feel welcoming. So I've had a bit of that, but I'd say, like, by and far, my Flesh and Blood experience has been really positive. But I think that there's, like... I do want to put like an asterisk there of there's like a lot of unusual things. Um, My local community is like amazing and I think it skews like a little bit older and especially initially on like a lot of people who have a lot like they have careers and they have a lot going on in their life and they're just like they're quite I'd say they're quite like mature and like well educated and and together. And so, and we had been playing online Armory for a long time before we ever played in person. So I felt like within my own local community, it's always been super respectful. But I also feel like maybe like my community is particularly good that way, which is awesome. Uh, Shout out to the local Vancouver community.
2: But um,
1: Yeah, but, but also, you know, like the first time I traveled and played outside of my community was actually at Canadian Nationals. And at that event, like, I was definitely not on anyone's radar, and I don't think anybody, like, from my province, from BC, was really. Like, a lot of the big names were from Ontario. Like, at the time, like, Dante had just talked multiple callings yeah. and like there was like other people who had been putting up results or had been practicing with the big names and like everybody knew about them so like I don't think I was on anyone's radar but I also just think that like a lot of people weren't and I didn't really take that personally and, but like that was my first event outside my community and it was a big one and I happened to win it so you won it to <laughs>
2: that's a big that's a big event to win too it,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah like it, it kind of shapes i think that's kind of shaped and informed the rest of my experience in flesh and blood right because the next time i traveled i went down to portland and then i was suddenly like wait strangers know who i am and come up and say hi to me like this is yeah really weird. but uh um... celebrity you okay? <laughs> Strange. There's a, there's a little bit of that though and it's it's not something i'm at all used to i'm like slowly kind of getting used to it but it's still weird um but yeah so so i think like i haven't really had much of that in flesh and blood but i think it also like is probably skewed by me being somewhat of a known player and um you know i think i also think that like there's a number of things about my win that maybe make it like a little bit more memorable like just just the fact that guy like, was the only female national champion I think like stands out in people's heads a little bit. And I think the, that I won on what at the time was like a bit a bit of an underdog also kinda of stood out. So I think all of that has kind of like culminated into me being like a little bit fortunate that I'm like as well recognized and respected as I am. I, I feel like sometimes like people get I sometimes I'm almost like, oh like maybe I'm just like in the right place at the right time. Like not that I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I got a little fortunate, and people are, like, overhyping me a little bit or something, but uh, but I don't oh, know. Oh, I don't think you're fortunate. I think it takes skill to
0: yeah. win a nationals. <laughs> Thank you. And you came out of nowhere and blindsided everyone, which is even, even better, I think.
2: <laughs> it truly is amazing. And watching you play at, like, the Pro Tour, watching your matches, it, just like the intelligence and thought that goes into everything you did i mean i i was blown away so we are going to talk a little bit about your experience at the pro tour because we had a lot of questions about just your gameplay overall um so we're gonna move into that Mm Just a little bit. Uh, also, quick shout out to Matapod on Twitter and in our Discord. He's a local of mine. He's a really talented Lexi player. He definitely looks up to you a lot. And so he helped us come up with the questions for this section. So I just wanted to shout him out real quick. Okay. So uh, first question I have is... I know that you were, like, tweeting before Pro Tour, you know, felt like the world was watching all the players before Pro Tour. And you were talking about maybe... Like, you were kind of in between Lexi, which we know you played, and another deck. So, like, what decks were you in between? And uh, are you happy that you chose to play Lexi at the Pro Tour?
1: Yeah, so I would say that, like, before uh-huh. before the <laughs> announcement, Lexi wasn't really on my radar at all. I felt like she had some, some problems in the format, like Awakening and Starvo was just such a big problem and and channel as well. Like there's like just number of cards that just made that matchup really hard. Um and so she wasn't really on my radar. I had been thinking about playing Prism. Um I actually had won a ProQuest in season one playing Prism and I played Prism through a lot of, of Monarch. So I'd say like Prism Prism and Lexi have been my main two heroes. Okay. Um so Prism was like a comfort pick and one that I was pretty sure I was on for a long time actually. Um, but towards the end of our, and, and, and so I guess rewinding a bit. So when, when the ban announcement happened, um, I decided to look at Lexi again because Awakening was gone and because Autumn's Touch was gone. I figured that that might make the Starvo matchup a little bit more tenable. And my idea was basically if we can have a decent Starvo and Chain matchup and an okay Prism matchup, that's actually a pretty good deck. Cause those still seem like the three big decks in the format for Yeah,
2: sure. definitely.
1: So that was kind of the idea behind Lexi, and we came to a build very similar to the one on the PT, like pretty, pretty quickly. My idea was basically to combine Fuseless Lexi with Ice Lexi to have some of the disruption in the chain. Um and, and also some of that like trickles over into Starvo and is also relevant and, and other aggro matchups as well. So that was kind of the idea behind the deck. Um, and then We were sort of undecided, like, the deck seemed okay, the Prism matchup was really, really poor, though. Um, Like, I had been just doing nothing but losing to Prism. And I think up until about a week before, we were pretty much on Prism, like, that's what we thought we were going to bring. But I did some testing with, uh, shout out to Will Harrison, um, who played Chain, and just absolutely destroyed me. I think I did win one game. Um, we we only played about four games and I think I won one of them, which doesn't sound awful, but the game that I won, I think I had done three Arclight Sentinels all in a row. Like, everything went perfectly and I still Mm -hmm. very nearly lost. I went, wow, my Hyrule almost (laughs) loses and all the other games are not close. Like, I don't really need to see more of this matchup. Like, I I understand that it's really bad. So I think I realized that like that top end of chain was a lot worse than I had originally thought and that kind of made us go back to Lexi and in the sort of like two days before we actually kind of figured out the prism matchup and made some really big breakthroughs and that really solidified the choice. So um, yeah, going into the Pro Tour is actually feeling surprisingly confident, even though like if you asked me like four days before the Pro Tour, I'd be freaking (laughs) out. um so it kind of worked out but it was like all very last minute developments um and yeah i'm happy that i brought the deck i think that it performed really well um i had a really good start and didn't i mean i did well i'm happy with the top 32. um still slightly disappointed i i didn't wasn't able to make top eight after being i think I was like nine and one at one point and i just needed a couple mm-hmm. more wins but i couldn't i couldn't quite get there so that was a little disappointing but but i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything i think it was a great choice for the event, and I think that it, it performed pretty well. I think um, everybody that I tested with, we all made day two. Uh, there was, so, two of us made day two of the Project. <laughs> That's crazy. Me, <laughs> made day two of the Calling, so it was hard to fault the deck. Like, it, it did really well.
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so, in the current meta, uh, do you still think that the Ice Fusion build for Lexi is like the best, or now that the meta is changing, do you think? Switching to like a lightning fuse or a no fuse would be stronger.
1: Just... Yeah, it's a little bit tricky. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I think about Lexi. I'm sort of looking to see what happens at um, the calling e to see if like the meta kind of solidifies just a little bit. Right now, the meta game is so wide, and I think it's a little bit hard for Lexi because one of her biggest strengths is that. She just has so, such a variety in how she can be built, and she can really sort of target specific heroes and matchups. Like, I think if you want to build her to beat just one hero, she can beat just about any hero in the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But sometimes getting the spread okay. of like multiple heroes is challenging.
2: Yeah. And the meta is and... kind of like a wild west right now. It's,
1: it's exactly, amazing. yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that doesn't help Lexi. Um, so what I've been, I think she's still pretty good, but I think it does make it harder to build, like, to know what the right deck is. Um, my approach has been sort of similar to the list that I took to approach her, maybe like a little bit less ice. Blizzard Bolts have been like kind of mopey, um, not been super impressed with that card this metagame. And uh, so yeah, just kind of like 15-ish ice cards, maybe cutting like one or two sets of Blizzard Bolts and adding in Arctic Incarceration has been really really good. Just being like a three frostbites all on its own is amazing, and um, Yes. Mm -hmm. Hypothermia is like a card I go back and forth on. When it's good, it's really good, and sometimes it just doesn't do anything. So, I mean, I think the fact that it's a blue helps a lot, and you should probably have some copies in your deck, but I'm not... Yeah, I've been kind of bouncing around between lists a little bit. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking for a list. I'll probably be sharing something soon, um, but but I do, yeah, so I think Lexi has potential, I think that you should still be ice because there's some very aggressive decks like Fi and viscerai <coughs> but I think that you need to slant fairly aggressively because in particular like Dromai is a really hard matchup, especially if you're more ice heavy. And so if Dromai is in the metagame, you actually need to be like, even closer to a useless list build than my Pro Tour list was to have a reasonable chance. Um, because yeah, that matchup is, is quite challenging.
0: So I have a question. So th- these are one of Metapod's questions. So he's provided quite a few, but how do you mentally prepare for participating in, in big events like Pro Tour, Nationals?
1: Yeah, um, great question. So there's a few things that go on. Um, I think the biggest one is just trying to rest, um, like make sure I have a good sleep, make sure I have a good schedule. Um, if there's a time difference, giving yourself like time to adjust to that. Um, for for New Jersey, it's only a, it's only a three hour time difference, but I was I had intentionally shifted my schedule just like a little bit earlier and had done like a week before I was doing some morning testing sessions, like when the Pro Tour would be starting. And I'm kind of glad I did, because when uh, a friend of mine and I sat down and played, we're like, oh, man, it's so early, <laughs> like we're not used to playing that. But what was like, I don't know, what was it, five or six in the morning for us? It was like, it was weird. So, so I think doing that can help. Um, and I think that like taking some time off right before the event, as hard as that is is like really important um you don't want to i think like especially the day before like you don't want to be you know going all out on testing to try and get that little bit more practice and then just be burned up for the event i think just like making mm-hmm. sure you're well rested and in a good mind space is really important um having food and healthy food is super important i usually like to get like trail mix or fruit or things like that. Just so I'm able to eat between rounds. It's like not the same as a meal, but it really adds up and makes a huge. Um, And then the last one is sort of, I guess it has to do with like my mindset going into the event. I usually like to focus on um, like performance rather than results. So those might sound similar, but like rather than, so my goal is never, like I, sometimes I'll have things like I would love to day two, or like I would love to try and make top eight, or like for the pro tour, like I was like, I'd be very happy if I got a PTI. Like if I top thirty two and got a PTI, I'd feel very, very happy with that. And it's like, okay to have that, but that wasn't really my goal. Um, my goal for the event was I wanna feel like I did a good job in testing and brought a deck that gives me a good chance to perform well. And in the games that I actually play at the event, I wanna play as um, as tight as possible and as cleanly as possible. And I wanna make like the best decisions that give me the highest chance of winning that I can. And if I do make a mistake, I'm gonna try and shake that off and do the best that I can from there forward. Um, so it's really like more focused on that like step-by-step decision by decision and game by game kind of process and because ultimately like we're playing a card game there's variance in what you draw and who you're paired against and it's not always in your control if you do well and I think that like sometimes that like mental aspect of like oh man I was hoping to do two but now I'm like starting in zero two is like that can really kind of dig yourself in the hole and if you just focus sort of on your decision making and trying to play as well as you can I think the if you keep doing that and you're, you know, you're doing your job in testing and you're playing well, I think that you're going to give yourself the best odds to get, like, I think results will follow if you keep doing that and you mm-hmm. keep trying, like, you're, you're not. That to win game, specific. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I think, I think the events come with playing really, really well, but it's like your chance to win a specific event is never that good. Like events are made to make losers and not made to make. Winners, if that makes sense. Like, there's
2: yes, one person who wins the event, and there's a lot of
1: people who lose. So, yes. yeah, just try to not get too attached to the results, and I think that's like uh, maybe the biggest thing.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really good way like to look at it mentally. Because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. easy to feel disappointed and like sad after any event, but I always just have to think like, okay, I played really well. That's that's like the most I can ask for is that like. Like you said, and play a tight game, a clean game, no matter what the results are.
0: Cause... Yeah, and to get learnings out of the game. Yeah, right. yeah, that's a nice Is one game game too. Every like my...
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I like, I love that, and I feel like that too. Sometimes, if I walk away from an event, I'm like, well, I learned a lot about, you know, what I can do in a certain matchup or preparation or whatever. That's like valuable in and of itself because. I think the goal is not to do well. For me, at least, the goal is not to do well at, like, a specific event. It's to do well overall across however long I end up playing Flesh and Blood for. So one event is just... It feels like a big deal, but it's it's just (laughs) one event, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, All right. This is another one from Matapod. But are there any statistics or analytics done when you're deck building? And if so which ones have like provided the greatest insight to you for you
1: yeah um there's a little bit i definitely focus on i usually try and focus on sort of key ratios around um things like blue count or um, like arrow count in Lexi is really important. Like balancing your arrows versus your ice cards versus like the ones that aren't either, um, and all of that is is really important. So mostly what I do there is um, use a hypergeometric calculator, which basically
2: what, <laughs> what <laughs> is that? you can
1: you, you can Google what it is. need to. <laughs> Uh, you can Google it. They're they're actually very easy to use um, once you kinda like learn the the templating of it. Um, I'm Googling it right now what we're we talking. Yeah, so basically it it tells you it, it's really useful for simulating things like drawing cards from a deck because typically you'll have like a like a, a population size, so that'd be the number of cards in your deck, like sixty cards. Yeah. And then you can put in like a specific type that you're looking for so if you're looking for arrow cards and you want to know how likely am i to draw one or more arrows you can say well i have 36 arrows in my deck out of 60 total cards and i'm drawing four cards and then it will tell you what the chances are of drawing exactly one one or more zero all of that kind of stuff um so you can look it up there's like multiple ones i, I just have two. i just googled it <laughs> all know, the know. You know? wow and I think that that's like a great starting point because it kind of informs like how often these things are gonna be happening. And it, it's sort of, there's like a bit of like an art there of like, not, I think like nothing's gonna be as high as you would really want it to be, but you're trying to get like the best balance of all the important things. And you're trying to ask questions like, um, like a big one for Lexi specifically is like how often Am I going to be drawing no arrows because those hands like often just kind of lose you the game or make you mm-hmm. fall away behind, so like selecting for like some some very like key. Things like that, I think, is really important in deck building. But that's really like the main one is is that hypergeometric calculator just to calculate different percentages. You can do it for things like fusion and uh, like your blue count as well, because you probably want at least one blue per hand. So you could say, I have eighteen blues in my deck out of sixty cards, how likely am I draw, to draw a blue? You could then include yellows in there and think about like how how bad it is if I draw yellow? How like because some decks function very well off yellows and some don't, so it's like another consideration. Um, but that's the the key one. Um, Other than that, I I think I largely go off of feel. So the hypergeometric calculator sort of like makes me, helps me make sure that I'm close. Like gives me like a rough idea of where I wanna be. And then I think there's like definitely like a little bit of wiggle room where I'll play some games and I'll be like, I feel like I'm like a little bit light on blues consistently. So like maybe I should add a blue or maybe I should like Find a way to reduce my curve a little bit, like have cheaper cards on average. Um, so, yeah, there's there's different approaches, but I think it's like a mix of feel as well as a little bit of like math behind it as well.
2: Awesome. I love that. Okay, so
1: I
0: tried that out. I've got that now saved as a bookmark. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
2: I think we'll do one more gameplay question and then we'll move on looking at the time. So um last one is when you're trying to figure out and like you're doing testing, you're trying to figure out how to hedge into a non-favorable matchup. Where like where do you start in that process of trying to figure out? I know you talked a little bit about this when we talked about how you chose a deck for a Pro Tour with the prism matchup and everything but like where where does that process begin
1: yeah um so my actually wrote an article about this a while ago on red riot but um what my main thought process is when i'm trying to build to beat like a certain matchup like if i'm working on the prism matchup i will try and think about what 60 card deck can beat prism um, so I'll kind of throw like almost everything I have like aside and just try and build a sixty that beats Prism, because and the idea here is like just figuring out like, can it be done and what are the key cards, right? Um, and then once I have that, I guess there's there's two things that can happen. I can figure out yes I can, and then how do I kind of make that uh, congruent with like the other cards I have in my deck for other matchups. Or the other possible outcome is I actually can't find a 60 that beats Prism. So now I need to make a decision. Either I need to bring another deck because I can't beat Prism. Or um, I can give up on my Prism matchup and hope to avoid it and just focus on all my other matchups. But I think like starting from my, if I just dedicate my deck to beating this matchup, how can, like, what does that look like is like a really good, litmus test because sometimes you can be like oh I'm gonna add like three cards and see if that works and then oh it doesn't work so I'll try these three more cards and you can kind of like waste a lot of time finicking around trying to like make it fit into your 80 card deck whereas if you just test a 60 you answer questions a lot faster um that being said like sometimes I might not go completely off the rails like if I know for example for the pro tour I knew that I wanted to have a good chain matchup and so I wanted to be an ice lexi deck And so even though I was willing to have a lot of room, I wasn't gonna go into like a pure lightning deck, for example. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't gonna go that far, like so I knew it was kind of ice, but maybe I can cut down on some of the ice elements and go more aggressive or sideboard some number of lightning cards. So keep it like kind of realistic. But as long as you can have something that is like somewhat resembles the deck, even if it's quite far off, I think is a is a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah, that, I mean that makes sense. I've I've never thought about it that way, and I probably will start thinking about it that way because that's really smart to figure out. Okay, this deck, this deck can win the matchup, but like actually, what what lines and cards are doing the most work, and then try and fit that into your original deck. It's a really good idea.
1: Yeah, I often think of. I often like to think of like when I'm. Rather than thinking of like, I'm sideboarding, like here's my main deck and I'm sideboarding for each of these matchups. I often like to think of it more along the lines of here, like this deck, I have like different 60 card decks for each of my matchups. Like this is like, even though like it's all one deck, it's like, here's my 60 card deck for Chain. Here's my 60 card deck for Prism. They might have like very different focuses. They might have like pretty different uh, configurations. Like sometimes your deck might vary by like 10 cards or something. And even though it's like technically all part of the same 80, um, I think like keeping in mind that you have like a different deck and a different game plan for that matchup can be a little bit liberating.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, we're going to move on from gameplay. I hope that uh, was enough for all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. Yeah, but we want to talk a little bit more about the female experience in Flesh and Blood and in TCGs and gaming in general. So you kind of touched on this already when we talked about like the difference between um, coming from Magic to Flesh and Blood, but. This was one of my questions for you because personally like when I got into the gaming space as a woman I like you said I felt like I had like something more to prove or that I wasn't being taken like as seriously as my male counterparts um like when going to tournaments you know sitting down across from a male it, I wasn't always being taken as seriously as I would have liked to have been so like yeah did you, did you experience your like this when you got into flesh and blood and do you I doubt you do but do you still like in, have you ever since winning nationals felt like that again or was like winning nationals you were kind of like okay well now everyone is taking me seriously in competitive play despite being a female um
1: yeah so I think that for the most part, I haven't experienced too much of it in Flesh and Blood specifically, like in other games, for sure, all the time. Um, in Flesh and Blood specifically, like mostly online and in discords, and again, like not directed at me, but mm-hmm. just sort of like generally feeling unwelcome. Um, let's see, since since Nationals, um, I have had it happen sort of like once or twice. Um, and it was, like, with people who were also, like, kind of new to the game. Um, so it was, like, a bit of a, like, it was just it was just a weird experience, uh, and then their friend, like, coming up and be like, oh, you just played so-and-so, and they're like, oh. <laughs> There's kind of, like, that deer in the headlights. Moment. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so it's always, like, a little bit weird, but this only really happened once or twice, and I think it was, like on the pretty mild side, um, like, I think they were, like, part of it was just them trying to, like, remember all their stuff, not so much, like, like, they were being kind of particular about, like, priority windows and stuff, because they they were, like, Prism, Mm -hmm. um, but I think some amount of it was just them trying to, like, also remember their own priority windows and not just, like, trying to tell me, so I think it was, like, a combination of both, and I try not to take it too personally, um, but yeah, for the most part, I've been pretty insulated from it in Flesh and Blood, but I will say that when I have experienced that um, in general, I usually try to take that as like, it's almost like motivation for me. It's like, oh, now I really <laughs> want to be this person. Like, I'm going to make sure that I play extra good because (laughs) this is not okay and i'm gonna show them (laughs) like i always try to (laughs) take it as a challenge and and, like turn it into something positive rather than Mm -hmm. like let it bring me down and i guess like if you are a woman in gaming and you are like finding it intimidating i think that like finding that group of people that are like supportive and you really enjoy spending time with and like are your friends and kind of share that experience with you is super important because like ultimately, I think you're gonna like, no matter who you are, you might have like, I like I've had plenty of unpleasant experiences, like not even necessarily related to gender. And I think you're gonna have mm-hmm. some of that when you interact with other people. Yeah. But I think if you have like, core group that you can like if something happens and then you can like go back and like talk to them in between rounds and like kind of like calm yourself down or just like feel a bit better like it makes it makes a huge difference and i think like for me that is like the the biggest thing is just having that you know that friend group that is not like that because you're always going to face a little bit a little bit of adversity and um having some support is really nice yeah
0: Good support, network. So, in your experience as a woman, you know, you're an established and very well respected part of our community, Yuki, what advice do you have for others to create a space where women do feel safe and included? Yeah. Um,
1: so, I think it will depend... I think it depends, like... What makes me feel welcome is not necessarily the same as everyone else but for me like one of the biggest things is just around like making sure that your language and your behavior and like the things that you are saying are just like not going to be putting someone off like you know, what I mean, like if, like mm-hmm. you're, you should be using language that is like respectful and not gonna make anyone feel unwelcome, regardless of like their gender or their religion mm-hmm. or their sexuality or like whatever it is. Like if you're in this public gaming space and you're saying something that's, like <coughs> if somebody hears it offhand, even if it's not directed to them and it makes them feel uncomfortable, like you should probably inspect that and and take a look at what you're doing. I think local game stores can do um, a lot for this as well, like I, I have some local game stores where the employees are pretty good about reminding people just like, oh this is a family establishment, make sure that like, you know, there's kids here, uh, which often mm-hmm. are, let's just like keep the discourse positive and reasonable. Um, and people are usually pretty good about it, so I think like often the the game store or like some community... Uh, leaders just kind of calling that out and just saying just giving people like pleasant reminders of like that's not really how we conduct ourselves here is is huge and and for players just to be mindful of it's not just your interaction with people of a minority group it's also just like generally how you carry yourself because you never know Like I think sometimes people say things and like they don't even know that you're there or they don't even know, Mm. like, you know what I mean? They might have their back to you and they don't know that you're behind them and you can hear them. And it's not that you're eavesdropping, you just happen to hear it. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, is this how this game store always is? Like, do I want to keep coming here? Like it just raises a lot of questions. And I think just avoiding that altogether um, can just make for a better experience for everyone.
0: So in general, good conduct. I kind of have a saying, if you wouldn't talk to your grandmother like that, it's yeah. not welcome here you know would you have that conversation with your grandmother probably not so don't have it here you don't know, have it at yeah. home you're in the comfort of your own home privately
1: yeah exactly like if you're if you are truly you know if you're it, it's totally different setting if you're at a friend's house playing okay. games and mm. you want to have whatever kind of banter like you know that's i'm all for that i think i think that that can be fun but mm. as soon as you're in a public space around other people you need to be like a little bit more mindful. Yeah.
2: So, what advice do you have for like women who are just now getting into the game or women who have been in the gaming space for a while who are, are trying to reach higher levels of competitive play? Um, yeah. Like myself and Melody, and I'm sure hopefully I, yep. a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think just. Um... Like, a big one, just in general, is perseverance. Um, just, like, I think that card games especially, like, there's just a lot of swings and a lot that can go wrong. And mm-hmm. it's not always in your control. And just, like, being determined and persevering through those bad moments is, is huge. Like, um, I, I know lots of people who I think are excellent players and they haven't put up like the big results yet, but I have no doubt in my mind that they're, you know, just as good as anybody else. And, and I think like reminding yourself of that is really important and like really trying to like push through and just focus on learning and doing the best that you can is, is important. Cause I know that it's like, you can get bummed out and it can get disappointing and you can be like, oh, I'm not achieving whatever. And I, I get that and I've been there. And I think just like not focusing too much on that is important. Um I also think like just try and believe in yourself like yeah. you you can do it <laughs> you know like um I think that there's I think there's no reason that you shouldn't feel like you can't compete um you know just because like you're less represented in the space like I don't I don't think that that is true I think like there's barriers and, it can be more difficult socially and, and things like that. But like, just, you know, you're just as good as anybody else, or like you have just as much potential to be good as, as anybody else. And I think just like remind yourself of that is really important. Um, and then I guess the last one would be just sort of like what I talked about, like think about who you wanna be around and like finding people mm-hmm. that are respectful and that can, and I think like I love what you're doing like trying to get women together and play together but I think also just there's lots of there's lots of people who are in this space that are like incredible and accepting and like very supportive and will not treat you any differently and I think you just need to like find those people that like really click for you and that you really like get along with and like help make you enjoy the game or be a better player or like whatever it is you're looking for in your flesh and blood experience like find that group of people and, and that's almost more important than anything else i think is just like that that networking piece because you know if you're yeah the, the the people you play with i think really shape you in a lot of ways as a player as well they, they help you grow they help you test they help you learn and they help you have fun with the game it's kind of, at least for me it's it's maybe the biggest part about the game is this is awesome. last
2: yeah i totally agree i'm on a um i'm on a competitive team for flesh and blood and like having a team i'm the only female on the team but like i i love i love my team so much they like we uh-huh. travel together to all the tournaments i probably wouldn't have gone to None of them came to Vegas, but, like, I probably wouldn't have gone to New Jersey last minute if, like, they weren't going to be there. Say, they know how to be, like, hard on me when I need them to be and, like, comforting when I need them to be. They were really great. So I, I 100% second that. Just, like, finding your group of people who you can test with and learn from and help uplift and they can do the same for you is really important.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, sometimes it's just, like, just ask people. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that people are, like, trading card card games, and especially small ones, um, like Flesh and Blood, I think, is still relatively small, despite its success. Oh, yeah. People are, in my experience, like, overwhelmingly, like, very, very friendly. Um, There are people (laughs) who aren't, and, like, maybe you don't want to be around those people, and, you know, just take that in stride but i think a lot of people like if you ask them like hey do you want to play games like they'll probably at least play a few games with you and like maybe it'll click maybe it won't but like don't be afraid to just put yourself yourself out there and ask and i don't know they might be surprised
2: yeah definitely get involved that was like that was kind of like the i really really loved flesh and blood And then I got on flesh and blood Twitter and like met more people outside of my just like local community, just like everyone on Twitter. I, I love when people interact with me on Twitter, like message me and set up games and stuff. Like you go on there and everyone worldwide is just like excited to see this game grow. And (laughs) I mean, you can, you can tell that you can tell that they're excited and genuine and good people and, Willing to help so definitely like, put yourself out there, get involved, mm-hmm. great advice that's how oh. Melody and I met
1: <laughs> and that's how we meet with meet you you yeah yeah yes. yeah, and like most of my yeah, like most of my testing team right now are not people that are like local to my area or people that I knew. Like none of them are people uh only one person that I test with is somebody I knew before Flesh and Blood. Like everyone else is people I've met in the game and a lot of them are not local to me. Um and I've like met online or through friends of friends or like, you know, kind of a thing. So yeah.
0: I forgot to ask you actually in our previous section, you've joined a new team that's headed by Jason
1: Live? Is that yeah. Happened? Yeah, that's right. So I've been testing with uh, Jason and Justin and some of the other New Zealand crew. Uh, we have a few people in America as well. Sean, who's like American-ish. <laughs> he's from New Zealand, but he lives in <laughs> New York area. So yeah. he's a Kiwi. Okay, come on, Kiwi. yeah, and, <laughs> Yeah, well, I just mean like he's technically in America, but he's Ish. a <laughs> And then Will, Will Harrison, who's also, he is American, so, um, yeah, so I've been testing with them, um, the, it can be challenging to align the, um, the time zones, like, there's not always overlap, Mm -hmm. so I definitely, I have to play, like, outside of the group as well, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good group. We have fun. There's like lots of good uh, joking around and banter. Yeah, so shout out to the team, CVK. They're awesome.
0: What's, what is the acronym?
1: Oh, don't ask me what it stands for. I don't actually. Oh, okay. know. They keep I joking about it Twitter, standing for different thing. things, and now I don't know. But I think Jason, <laughs> I think we're still on team CVK. I think Jason settled on that one
0: last question for the section for you here someone who identifies with both uh, the female or the woman community women in the community and with the lgbtq community what do you hope the future of flesh and blood looks like these underrepresented groups
2: i
1: just hope that we see more people participating um, and feeling like they are welcome to join and participate at really, like, all levels of play, whether that's, like, you know, like, PvE in the future, or armories, or, you know, like, callings and pro Like, I hope that, like, across the board, we just see more per- more participation and, like, more people feeling like they can get into the game and, like, they'll have a space here, like, if they, if they want it, um, that would be huge. Or, like, having people feel like they can, like, I think a lot of it is also, like, if, if some people have a good experience, like, you might get friends into it and, and that can, like, open the door for more people. So I'd like, like to see that kind of, like, natural growth of, like, people coming to the game and being like, no, this is, like, a good space to be whoever you are whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah.
2: 100%. Hmm. You are obviously like very well known and renowned in the community. And you're someone who's always posting their winning deck techs or your, your deck lists, your strategies, um, things that most... Players look at like closely guarded secrets. Uh, so, what makes you like so willing to share everything going on behind your deck and your games on Twitter with everyone? The world. Yeah. Yeah. There's,
1: I guess, there's like a few things to that. Um, one, I guess, like because I came from Magic. That has like a huge, like very developed scene. There's like a lot of incredible, incredible content um, by like very prolific players that really know their stuff and really kind of just like put everything on the line and tell you like exactly what they think. Like they might not, they might not be able to tell you like this is exactly the deck that my team is bringing to this event because it's like belongs to the team, but they will mm. like generally genuinely tell you like what they think about the format, what they think like how the decks are positioned. Um, or like in draft what their strategy is or what they think the fortune cards are. And I just think it's like a shame that Flesh and Blood doesn't have so much of that. And I think part of it is just like from being a new game, but like, I guess after winning nationals, I was like, well, I could be like, I could be part of that. Like, I don't have to wait for someone else to do it. Like, that could be me. And I know that like, being on the other side, like that makes such a huge difference. just like learning about the game and getting into it. So I thought it was really cool to be able to give back and and do that. Um, Probably also helps that like in my real life job, I'm a teacher Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: um, Mm -hmm. I see a lot of overlap between sort of like the content creation or like deck profiles and and teaching where I'm sort of like sharing what I know. And that's something that I just generally enjoy. Um, But yeah, I guess I've never felt like I also think sometimes people get, like, too hung up on, like, on, like, secrets. That, like, mm. if you're just listening, I'm I'm putting secrets in, in air quotes here. Because sometimes I don't really think that secrets are that secret. You know what I mean? Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're like, occasionally, like, yeah, maybe you really... Like, if, if I was, like, on, like, the Kino list for the Pro Tour, like, yeah, I would want to keep that secret. Because there's, like, a huge element of surprise. Yeah. Mm. But, like... I remember Everfest came out and I posted like I was posting my viscerai list and I'm just like I just feel like this is obvious like like maybe not like the exact setup that I have but it's just like Hayden just won viscerai or just one Australian Nats with viscerai the deck's pretty established there's these new Everfest cards that are like obviously very good in the deck I'm just gonna put them in and like there's like I can treat it like a secret, but like people are gonna figure it out. Like give people respect, you know. Like I always mm. like to assume that like there's lots of good players in the community and in the game, and they're they're gonna figure it out. It's not like like I think sometimes people like like to feel like they're smarter, they're clever, and yeah, like you'll be surprised. Like people people know these things, like. You know, like I remember in some of the early days of Everfest, like people were kind of like on about how like they had this secret viscerai deck that was so good. I'm like, well, I've been seeing people at ProQuest who are in the middle tables like doing exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> is, is it really a secret? I don't know. So I, I think people get a little hung up on it. Um, and I just like love that sharing. Yeah. yeah.
2: Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you for sharing. Thank yeah. You.
2: I think we have to move on to listener questions, so.
0: Hmm. This is from Schwartzy1. Yuki. How many games do you play until you decide that a card is not good or a nice tech? You kind of covered that a little bit through your... Hi- yeah. I was going to say hypodermic calculator, that's not it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hyperthermogenic hyper- is that it? No. Oh, Hypothermogenic. <laughs> <what? laughs> Uh, Yeah, so a little bit different, Um, Yeah, I I can touch on it briefly, so I would say it depends on cards that are supposed to be, it depends on how narrow the card is. If it's a card that is specifically for exactly one matchup, I can probably figure it out pretty quickly, like a handful of games, because the slots in your deck are very valuable, and if you're devoting like even three slots in your deck for one specific matchup, like that's a huge part of your sideboard, and I want that card to be obviously very effective in that matchup. Otherwise, like what's the point? Like it's mm-hmm. not worth the slot. Um, the more challenging ones to identify are cards that have applications in multiple matchups and like might give you a small edge in like a few of them. And those might take, like, a larger number of reps in the deck to really, like, figure out um, how much it's impacting things. But I think that, as a good rule of thumb, like, how you feel, like, pay attention to how you feel about that card throughout the match. Both, like, when you draw it and when you're thinking about your hands. And that gives you, like, like, pay attention to that feeling. And I think it's important because, like, I've had cards where I'm just, like, like, Icequake, it's like, I always want to draw Icequake. As long as I have arrows, like, I want to see this card in my hand. Like, if it's in my hand, I'm happy it's there so long as I have arrows. And if it's not in my hand, I'm like, It'd be a pretty good card to have in my hand right now. Um, so, like, that's, like, a really good indication. Or if you, like, are drawing a card and you're just like, why is this in my hand? And it's, mm-hmm. like, that repeatedly, that's, like, a really good mm-hmm. sign that maybe that card is, like, not great or if it's or if you're feeling it's kind of like yeah this is fine like the card's probably fine like your your gut probably tells you a lot how important that card is
2: awesome yeah i i I like the going off of your gut and your feelings because yeah you're just you're just speaking and now i'm thinking about like my games and i'm like yeah Yeah. that why is that card in my deck you're right uh All right, so our next question comes from Laura, and Laura asks, "What do you what do you hope to see down the line in terms of cards?"
1: I'm just sort of excited to see what they bring next. Like LSS has done an awesome job with this game, so I'm just sort mm-hmm. of like excited in general. Um, my secret like wish list is I would, I don't know if it's gonna happen, but I'd really like to see just like ice arrow that is just like a one for five that has the ice type so that there can be more consistency in in the deck. I, I think it would actually be very powerful. Um, I could see like only one pitch of it, but something like that, just like an on right arrow that has talent subtypes to help the oh. heroes, I think would be huge. Cause like you have like this like conundrum of like, I don't have enough ice cards and arrow cards at the same time. And my deck is like always inherently a little inconsistent. So something like that I think would be really cool where it's not like a it's not like a power level bump it's not like oh my god they drew this card and now they run me over it's more of a like consistency and uh, sort of an increase so yeah i think cards that give you like more options in deck building and more consistency in general are just like nice in the game yeah. All right well we've got we i think we got maybe
0: five questions from Michael Michael is a, a viewer and a Twitter friend that posts lots of questions for our, (laughs) for our guests. So we've chosen two this time, and, um, I'm going to start from the second one. (laughs) Please don't talk about pickles. I'm just going to say that in advance. (laughs) So that was directed towards me, not you, (laughs) um, but I know that there's been a conversation on Twitter with (laughs) Yuki as well, Elaine. So if you had a snack named after Yuki, What would it be and what would it be made out of? Random question.
1: Yeah, so I think think if there was a snack named after me, like some kind of like yuki shaved ice dessert kind of snack would make like a lot of sense. Um, Plus I also really enjoy those kinds of desserts. They're just like super Mm -hmm. refreshing, especially in the summer, which is like right now it's really warm. So
2: yeah. And it goes with Lexi. Yeah, it does. It does, it actually, does. yeah. uses with licks. love it. That makes me want shaved ice. I almost got a snow cone yesterday, and then I didn't. Now you said that, and I want one again today.
1: <laughs> oh, that was me last night. I was like, oh, I want shaved ice, but it's 1 a.m. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were in, like, a heat advisory this week. It's, like, one o five all week, and I'm sweltering. Uh, how, how, so how, shaved what ice. is that in... And New Zealand, with them, <laughs> Melody. You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, we've tried this comparison because
1: I I also use Celsius, but I think it's like got to be like forties. I think. What? I think so. Let like me. One hundred five is really. It's really like that's ridiculous. I'm <laughs>
2: looking it up right now. We're taking a what, yeah. okay. Because
1: I know I've been in the states when it's like in the hundreds and it's miserable. Like I think Vegas was in. This.
2: So yeah, it's yeah, it's forty. 40.5 repeating. Yeah.
1: That's deep. That it is it's just really
2: hot. It's, it's really, really really, hot. really, bad. All right. Last question. This one is again from Michael M. Shredda on Twitter. It says, what would your ideal hero, class, ability, maybe health, intellect be? What would, yeah. What would your ideal hero be?
1: Yeah. So this is a tough one. Um, I have a couple ideas of heroes that I think would be cool. I don't know if it's like so fleshed out as like an entire hero or deck. But um, like one of them is just maybe it's like a bit of a cop out, but I know in like the hero handbook they have the the necromancer and I've always liked kind of like graveyard mm. recursion and mm-hmm. board state related things. So I think that, that could be like a really cool class. Um, but maybe like something a bit more specific and in the like more in the spirit of the question um is like I think it'd be cool if they had a ranger like in ranger I feel like often like the arsenal and being able to manipulate the arsenal is like such a like it lets you do a lot of things and is very important and I and there's like also like cards like traps that are like kind of cool conceptually but haven't really they kind of missed the mark and I think like having a ranger that had something like a once per turn instant to reload that you could like reload a trap uh, assuming you have an empty arsenal, you could reload a trap and play it. Um I don't know that like, the current traps are like good enough right now for that to be a thing, but I think something kind of like focused that's like a little bit more mid rangey and does get to like use the arsenal at instant speed in that way and has like some special effects coming from Arsenal could be both flavorful and like pretty interesting. Um I don't know too much about like the intellect and the health. It's like I'll leave that up to LSS to figure out. But, <laughs> you have seven Yeah,
0: seven intellect.
2: <laughs> What's the worst thing that could happen? <laughs> hmm. That'd be fun. I think the necromancer would be cool too. I kind of oh, expected yeah. to see a little bit more graveyard interaction with uprising than we got. Like Phi yeah. has like the you know once the instant to retrieve the phoenix mm-hmm. flame from the graveyard but like with the ash and the making of dragons i wrongfully ex- assumed and expected it to be kind of more of like a graveyard interaction whether rather than like yeah. you're pitching to make totally ash and broken. like leviah like
1: kind mm-hmm. of has that like it looks like there's it looks like she's that kind of a deck and then you try and build her and you're like oh it's like Uh, it's not quite there like that's not really quite what she does like it's sort of like it felt like there's like a package there but it didn't quite hit the mark
2: yeah definitely i feel like it's like one of the like last like game components that i know of from coming from like my little experience with magic that like we still haven't really touched on or explored in flesh and blood so, yeah, I, I think that would be cool to see you, and I think necromancer would be the perfect class to do it. Oh,
0: absolutely. Okay. We're be- one of everything.
2: Before we completely wrap things up, we have one more question that we like to ask every guest that we have on the podcast, and that is: Is there any like specific to- topic or content that you would like to see the Pitch Perfect Pod produce in the future? Um.
1: I mean, honestly, I've been a big fan of like the current format, just listening to the two of you and like having guests on sometimes. Um, I think one of the things that I'm like the most excited for that you've been working on quietly is um, just like getting like getting players together and like organizing that like, um, that sort of like meet and greet or social space, I think is like really, really exciting. And I think, um, not to like put pressure on you guys but um <laughs> um i know that like magic the gathering has like something called uh venus and mercury Le- mercury league mm-hmm. which is basically like for oh. um not just like women but like people of uh like gender minorities i believe is how they phrased it to play and like it's like a league And I think they, they, I believe they cast at least like the finals. I don't know if they cast the whole league, but they do like the finals of it. And it's um, like, it's just like a really cool community run space for for people to like get involved. And and there's some like very good players that play it in as well. So I think like, not that you have to do that, but I hope that like Flesh and Blood can have something like that is sort of the the dream for me.
2: Is the casting done? By like um, underrepresented gender minorities, also, they I you said like they cast like the finals,
1: yeah. I'm trying to remember, I believe that, like, I believe that at least partially, I can't remember if the whole casting team is or not, but I know, like, for sure. Um, like, I've seen like Hayu on their casting before, Mm -hmm. and she's awesome, so. Yeah, I think that's, like, a great idea, but I think, like, casting, I think regardless of who's casting, it's, like, still a cool event, but, oh, yeah. but I think there are people like that that can cast, that's, like, a pretty logical fit. Uh
2: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely really awesome. I'm gonna have to, like, cool that, uh, look more into so it. It's called Venus and Mercury, that's yeah, awesome. that's really yeah, cool.
1: Yeah, it's really, really cool, so I hope that we can get something, like, some kind of, like, add to that would be really cool
0: well hold that thought yuki because we're having a, a team meeting elaine and i this afternoon during my lunch hour oh, and yeah uh, yeah it's for an it's for an in-person event that i'm looking to organize in new zealand but an online one we we've chatted about and with kiki as well
2: mm-hmm.
0: cool. a league watch the space uh, now that Yuki said we've got yeah, to do it we're got to, to do
1: it elaine
2: <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> Yeah, you do what
1: you decide to get your first yep. oh. and Melody are committed to it now. Yes. Yep.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I I really like one hundred percent I love everyone on the casting teams that Flesh and Blood has. I'm really good friends with a lot of them actually. Um but I would love to see like I would love to see like some women, um or and non-binaries like casting just some different representation on casting teams i think would be mm. really cool just while we're on the topic so I, I don't think i'm yeah. the woman to do it i don't think i'd be Neither. good at casting but I I'd, Yuki, I'd like to be see right yeah but i'd love to
1: do some casting but i also like playing so i say you've got to be playing yeah.
2: though
1: <laughs> you'll be at the top tables there's no time for you to. I be say, casting. there's
2: no time to cast
1: but uh maybe i could do a Matt rogers and just like Sneak in there once yes. I scrub out or like you know, once I miss
2: the cutter. Yeah. That'd be a, yeah. That'd be awesome. At least this,
0: if you're watching killed up.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on and talking yes, with us, Yuki. Can. This is truly a joy and very insightful. Um, but for anyone who's listening and doesn't know where to find you, where where can people do that? I wanna give you the opportunity to plug everything you're involved in.
1: Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. This has been a pleasure. i uh, down at the pod and it's, it's nice chatting with you too. finally. like uh, like getting to sit down and chat. Um, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name, at Yuki Lee Bender. Um, I also write for Red Riot Games. Um, there's articles posted on there, sort of sporadically. I don't have, like, a, they're very flexible with with my writing schedule. So I, I write, sometimes I write a lot of articles, sometimes I don't write very many, um, but there are articles that go up there. Um, and I guess recently there's a couple articles on the Fab DCG page as well. So yes. um, I don't know if that's continuing or not, but there is a couple if you want to take a peek, they're draft related, so
2: yeah. Awesome, awesome. amazing, thank you. Uh, one more quick reminder before we stop recording that we are currently running a charity fundraiser fundraiser with paper collective so there's like a playmat the women of volcor you can go buy that and donating a portion of those proceeds to the global fund for women so uh, we'll put i'll put the link in the show notes but yeah thank you so much for joining us this was great
0: it's
1: been a pleasure thanks for having me